0: just breath meditation, and then move into a metta meditation, because we're going to be talking about goodwill and harmlessness in the sama sankhapa, uh wise intention aspect of the path, so it's good to do a little bit of metta practice. So I'll guide you. Um, anybody here not done metta practice before? So allow all of your molecules to arrive here, letting go of whatever has happened today or yesterday or last week or last month or last year, and letting go of any hopes or fears of the future. Arriving here firmly in this moment and allowing the attention to rest in the breath. Paying attention to the posture of the body and allowing a kind of dignity and nobility to come into this seated posture while paying attention to the breath moving in the body. And if you're so inclined when the mind and heart feel gathered to direct your attention to the phrases of kindness toward yourself, bringing into the heart and mind space a felt sense of this body and mind sitting here this being that we call ourselves, and directing the wishes of kindness towards this being, the wishes for safety, peace and happiness, health and ease. And allowing the wishes to emerge from the heart in a rhythmic and deliberate way. No rush, no hurry, but also not overly slow either. Just a nice rhythmic way. May I be happy and peaceful. May I be safe and protected from harm. May I be healthy and strong of body. And may I live with ease. And see how when we wish ourselves, this goodness, this feeling of goodwill and harmlessness emerges. You can shower yourself with loving kindness for the entire period, or you can move on to the benefactor if you feel as if you've sufficiently showered yourself with kindness. And you can stay with yourself or with your benefactor or you can extend your metta to a dear friend. Getting a clear picture of the friend placing that image or felt sense on your heart and addressing your wishes to this Being again, feeling the goodwill in the heart. May you be safe from harm. May you be happy and peaceful. May you be healthy and strong of body, and may you live with ease, free from struggle. And then moving to the neutral person, if you'd like. Or again, staying with yourself or the benefactor or the friend. Whatever works to help cultivate this feeling of kindness and goodwill. Finding that neutral person that perhaps you overlook or know but haven't given a second thought to and see if you can bring a really clear picture of this person into your heart and send them the wishes of kindness. And then the difficult person, choose someone who's not the most difficult, but someone with whom you may be having some trouble. And again, get a clear picture of this being in your heart. Notice how it feels to even anticipate sending good wishes and well wishes to this person without blame or recrimination or judgment about your feelings. And see if nevertheless you can wish them well despite the trouble noticing that they want to be happy just as you do, and they want to be free from suffering just as you do. And really try to clear, make the picture of them very clear in your heart. And if you're having difficulty wishing this being well, the texts instruct us to review the dangers in hatred and the advantages in patience. If you're ready, you can radiate your loving-kindness, your well-wishing, your goodwill throughout this whole room, all the beings here. May each and every one of us be safe from harm. May each and every one of us be happy and peaceful. May each and every one of us be healthy and strong of body. And may each and every one of us live with ease. Again, repeating the phrases in a rhythmic way. The wishes for safety, health, uh, sorry, peace and happiness, health and ease, and then allow that loving kindness, that well-wishing, that goodwill to radiate out from this room, this center, out through this whole building, whatever beings are in this building. May they share in this safety, peace, and happiness, health, and ease. And out beyond the building into the city, beyond the city to the northeast, to the north, to the northeast, to the east, to the southeast, to the south, to the southwest, to the west, and to the northwest, above and below. All beings in all ten directions, way beyond this country, this continent, out to all of the continents of the earth and beyond the earth, all beings everywhere. May they be safe and protected from all harm and danger. May all beings, everywhere, without exception, in all ten directions, be happy and peaceful. All genders, all ages, (coughs) all statures, short and small, all states of health and being, May all beings be safe from harm, happy and peaceful, healthy and strong of body. May all beings live with ease, free from struggle, free from suffering, awakened and free. And allow whatever feeling of well-being, of well-wishing, of goodwill that has arisen to pervade your whole body and mind. no boundaries of your own being that your being is part of the whole net of life and so whatever well-being you feel whatever peace and happiness well-wishing and goodwill is shared by all of the beings with whom you occupy this planet and this universe. Good way to start, isn't it? Good evening, and welcome to all of you who came in during the meditation. I know the traffic was a little hard in the city tonight, so I'm sorry you had to be late. So, um, what I thought we'd do is I'd talk a little bit about um, anybody who came in uh, while we were sitting, new and have, hasn't been here before. Okay. Um, so, just one person's new and was to. Uh, recount a little bit of where we've gotten to. We haven't gotten very far, but that's okay. So the first couple of sessions, we talked about um, the Buddha's awakening and his uh, awakening to the Four Noble Truths. That there is dukkha, which... I like to um, translate as, a, as like a wheel whose axle doesn't fit perfectly into the hub. And so as the wheel turns, we get a bumpy ride. So life is like that. But he, he noticed that there is dukkha And he said dukkha should be understood and that it has been understood. And then the second noble truth that this dukkha has a cause. And that cause is the clinging mind, the mind that wants things to be other than they are. And he said this cause should be abandoned and that it has been abandoned. And then he said the third noble truth is that this dukkha, as pervasive as it is, can cease. And that this cessation should be realized and that it has been realized. And then he said the fourth noble truth is that there is a path and that he's seen it. It's called the Noble Eightfold Path, and he said this path to the cessation of dukkha should be cultivated and that it has been cultivated. So 12 aspects to the Four Noble Truths. And uh, so we've been spending time, the first uh, week we did a kind of summary of the whole path and we talked about what is a path and that a path has to be walked in order for it to be a path that doesn't kind of help us to say what a beautiful teaching this is a really great teaching, wow it's gorgeous, it's wonderful and then not do anything about it. So the path has to be walked or as he said cultivated and then last week we took the first Aspect and so there are three aspects to the path There's um, wisdom Which has two limbs wise understanding or wise view and wise intention or wise thought And the second aspect is integrity or Sometimes you'll see it translated as as uh, morality. The word is sila. In Pali. And that also has uh, three aspects: Uh, wise uh, action, wise speech, and wise livelihood. And then the last two, the uh, I'm sorry, the last three. Um, under the category of uh, meditation, we call samadhi. Uh, sometimes, uh, precisely translated as concentration. And the three aspects of samadhi or concentration or meditation are wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. And the word sama is you'll see sometimes translated as wise and sometimes translated as right. So last week we talked about um, wise understanding or wise view. And that um, was essentially two aspects of wise understanding or wise view. The first is the mundane. And that's um, understanding karma. That we, um, karma meaning action has consequences, and it has consequences according to the conative or the intention behind the action. And then there's the super mundane aspect of wisdom, which is actually understanding the Four Noble Truths. So we come back on ourselves all the time. So tonight I'm gonna try to cover wise intention or wise thought and um, integrity uh, the integrity aspect of the path wise action wise uh, speech and wise livelihood <coughs> by the way I finally got it together to put the uh, reading list together. So we can hand those out at the end of the of the class. So, right intention, samasankapa. Sometimes translated as right thought. <coughs> and as I said, it refers to the kind of cognitive or purposive uh, aspect of uh, thought of mental activity and the cognitive aspect, of course, is covered by right view or the, the uh, right understanding. But the but right understanding and right intention is part of the wisdom aspect of the path. Um, they they're not separate. And what we one of the things that we talked about originally is to not, although pedagogically it's necessary to speak in a in a kind of linear way about this path the path is a circle in that you'll see it sometimes uh, denoted as a, as a as a wheel with eight spokes and that's because it's not really a linear teaching but that all of these aspects come together and um, separate and come back together and uh, so without right view, it's really not um, right intention doesn't kind of immediately present itself because our predilections, our emotional predilections influence our views, and our views determine our predilections, right? So that's why it's so important to establish right view right at the beginning. So when we penetrate the nature of reality or the nature of existence, and we usually do that through reflection and meditation, right? So there it is, the third aspect of the path. And, and in the investigation, the meditation offers us what happens is we begin to restructure our values and you probably if you've been practicing for a while you've probably noticed that that it's not that as you practice meditation and you begin to get some sense of um, where you've been deluded about the real nature of things as they are or of the world or how we exist or uh, so many different ways that we begin to see our lives differently, our values shift. So it's not as if we have to say, OK, so now I'm going like, to make my intentions different, because they, you can't do that in a kind of um, removed way or divorced from every other aspect of your practice. <clears throat> and what happens is we start to have goals that are commensurate with our new vision. That our understanding of how things are means that our intentions, what we decide we want to do with our lives, becomes different. And so the application of mind needed to achieve these goals is what's called right intention or wise intention. And the teaching that the Buddha gave on wise intention was threefold. That, there, that if we have um, the intention of renunciation of goodwill and of harmlessness, then that's what uh, constitutes right intention. Now I wonder if that um, if anything occurs to you about that. Anything that you know about the teachings occurs to you when you hear uh, renunciation, goodwill, and harmlessness? Anyone? Yes? I have understandings of renunciation. Could of that word. Well, I will. But I wonder. So so wise intention or right intention is as opposed to wrong intention right So what would renunciation address? Attachment? Very good desire attachment And what would goodwill address? Mm, uh, the opposite. Mm-hmm. Ill will. Yeah, aversion. So we know, when we talked a little bit about this in the first class, that the three roots of um, suffering are the defilements of the mind, aversion, desire, lust aversion, and um, delusion. So the harmlessness doesn't quite, is not quite a, a symmetrical. But then if you, if you kind of think about um, harmlessness, what you realize is that there's an aspect of harmfulness that is diluted, where we think that we're separate, you know, that, our, that who we are is um, defined by our skin, right? that our skin is our outer boundary. So there's a, delude, there's a delusion or a deluded aspect of understanding. If we think that we can harm someone else and it doesn't harm us, especially if we've looked at karma and understood it. So the intention of renunciation counters des, uh, desire, the intention of desire, and the intention of goodwill counters the intention of ill will or aversion. And the intention of harmlessness counters the intention of harmfulness. And when the Buddha was uh, uh, meditating towards his enlightenment, he said that he, he discovered that there were two kinds of, there's a twofold division of thought. And this is before his enlightenment he said he thought he found that his thoughts could be distributed into two different classes. In one, he put thoughts of desire, ill will, and harmfulness, and in the other, thoughts of renunciation, goodwill, and harmlessness. And when he noticed the first kind of thoughts arising in him, he understood that those kinds of thoughts lead to harm for himself and for others. And then he noticed when the other kinds of thought uh, were um, arising, he understood them to be beneficial, conducive to the growth of wisdom, and aids to the attainment of nibbana, and the first kind obstructing wisdom and leading away from nibbana. And you'll see in right effort when we come to the meditative aspect of the path that when he described right right effort or wise effort with respect to the meditative aspect this is how he described it that you strengthen um, positive thoughts or thoughts wholesome thoughts that are already in the mind and you cultivate them so that they grow and blossom. And that you um, let go of thoughts that are unwholesome, that if they've not yet formed in the mind, you do whatever is necessary to not allow them to form at all. But that if they do, if they come into the mind, that you abandon them. So, right intention. This, so that's why I did um, this practice of metta tonight, because metta is the direct practice of goodwill and harmlessness. That if we have this intention of goodwill, if we have this intention of harmlessness, then this sending of wishes, of good wishes to all of these, um, uh, this whole progression of beings becomes relatively simple to do. And in the practice of metta, that also, as you know, cultivates the heart of goodwill and, harm- and harmlessness. So this right intention Connects uh, right view with the next aspect of the path, um, morality or sila, and we begin to move into not just reflecting and uh, seeing what's true or looking at our intention, but we start to move into with that intention the spheres of activity in our in our lives so you begin to see that the path is not just a kind of beautiful teaching which of course it is but that it's actually a very practical map for uh, working with the suffering that uh, the Buddha talked about in the first noble truth and, and the cause that when we that when we have this understanding and intention for kindness and goodwill and, har- and harmlessness and renunciation, that in a way what we're doing is we're addressing the second um, truth, the second noble truth. We're addressing the, um, the cause of suffering which is the mind that clings the mind that wants the mind that has aversion to what is and that is ignorant of the way things are that doesn't understand how life unfolds so to to begin to see how this noble eightfold path is really addressing um, the truths that the Buddha elucidated. So this intention is, um, as I said, the, the the bridge from wisdom into activity. And to just notice how, if we have wrong views, then out of those wrong views will come wrong intention. And out of those wrong intention will come actions that will produce consequences that we don't want. But that when we, the intentions are right, then the actions are right. And, the, and, and, and in a way, the inten- for the intentions to be right Will guarantee that the views are right. So it's constantly going back on itself. So if we understand karma, then this is a no-brainer, right? Because it's not as if we're doing it to be good, but we're doing it because we're wise. We're, so we're we're checking our intention, and through that intention, we're carrying out. The activities that we need to carry out, then we're doing it out of a sense of wisdom and understanding. So, understanding the four noble truths gives rise to the intention of renunciation. Yes, because if it's the if the if the second truth is that the clinging mind, the mind that wants. Um, Sensual pleasures and believes that those sensual pleasures are what's going to lead to a life of happiness. That when we actually know, oh, this wanting, this needing, this thinking that these sensual pleasures are what's going to get me there, you know, over and over and over and over again, we see the impermanence of them. We see that. Um, we can't control what comes our way to a large extent that most of the time whether what's pleasurable or unpleasurable comes our way is not within our scope of control and then therefore what's possible is to look at our own desires, our own wants now you got to be careful right Because then as soon as people hear this teaching, they think, oh, I can't want anything. right?" And oh, I'm bad to want. Well, you know, it's okay. It's kind of part of a package that comes when we get born. So it's not about not wanting anything, but it's about putting it into perspective. So if you want something understand that it's not going to lead to the ultimate happiness because it will either change or we'll change and we don't want that anymore or we get what we don't want or we don't get what we want or we get what we want and then we lose it or it changes, or we change, and there are all of these possibilities. And so, with wisdom, we understand that. So we enjoy what we have when it comes our way, and we're also willing to let it go. So renunciation is not so much. We're not monastics, right? That's a more um, uh, disciplined way of life. A more um, a. a a more extreme way of life and that has a lot of um, advantages and a lot of ease but as lay people we're out in the world and we have certain needs and ways that we, things that we need to do in order to live relatively comfortably you know, we're westerners so we love our comfort right? But it's really a question of putting it all into perspective and understanding deeply the consequences of desire, of satisfying desire. And so renunciation is not so much becoming a monastic when you're a lay person, but really putting that in, putting things into perspective. So when we understand the craving of the mind and how it leads to dukkha, then the mind easily inclines to renunciation. But But it enjoys what it enjoys when it enjoys it. And it also lets it go when it's ready to be let go. And one of the things that we can look at is um, abandoning uh, craving and how we're bound because we see how we're bound by craving. And one of the ways of working with wanting and craving is to notice how when we want something, and this comes back to the meditative aspect of the path, We are totally out of our bodies, totally out of our minds, and that we have absolutely no idea of what wanting is actually like. Why is that? Because we're so caught in the object of the desire. So we want a relationship, we want a job, we want to career, we want a house, we want a car, we want a dress, we want a friend, we want a particular kind of life. What happens is the mind gets all caught up in the object. And as meditators we realize we can actually turn the mind (coughs) towards the wanting itself. And when we turn the mind to the wanting itself what we notice is that wanting, that what we actually want is for the wanting to be extinguished. That that's what it carries with it, is that this wanting is an uncomfortable feeling. And so we actually want the wanting to be extinguished. And we think, the mind thinks in that moment, that what will make that, wanting be extinguished is the uh, acquisition of the object. But actually what we want is for the wanting to stop. So this renunciation is not such a renun- so much a renunciation of objects. Of, it's natural to want a relationship, to want a career, to want the things that we want it's not it's not unnatural but it's the craving and the clinging and the misunderstanding of what the wanting is about that makes us suffer so we can abandon craving through renunciation And it's a practice. It's not as if tomorrow we're going to say, okay, I've now decided that I'm going to renounce everything, (laughs) including wanting, and it's going to happen. But it's really an invitation the next time you're really jonesing for something to really turn to it, turn to the wanting, and see what part of that wanting can be renounced. And really pay attention to what it feels like in the wanting, and then pay attention to what it feels like in the renouncing. That's what will inform you. That's what will help you to know this mind-body and what causes happiness and what causes suffering. So when we apply the truths, the noble truths, in an analogous way, not only to ourselves, but to other beings, what we also realize is that other beings want to be happy just like we do. And they don't want to suffer just like we don't. And this contemplation nurtures the growth to goodwill and harmlessness. And it doesn't mean that we haven't been betrayed. And it doesn't mean that we haven't been hurt. And it doesn't mean that things haven't turned out the way that we wanted them to turn out when we have relationships with other beings. And it doesn't mean that other beings don't do some really terrible things in this life. But what it means is that we're invited to really see our connection to other beings. And that living in this mind-body, in this human body, is not very different than all of the other beings that we occupy space with. And when we start to know that, then the intention for harmlessness and goodwill is kind of a piece of cake. So even though we've been hurt, we've been harmed, we've been betrayed, there's been difficulty, we can still insist that all beings be happy. Because we understand with wisdom that their unhappiness, their harm, isn't going to make us any happier. And we begin to understand the kind of world we want to live in. And that's why the um, in the Vasudhi which is a book, a, a text from 500 A.D., 500 B.C., um, in Christian the Christian era a thousand years after the Buddha uh, the Buddha's life written by Buddha gosa a monk um, sets out the the meta practice that we do and in it his first instruction is to sit down and contemplate the benefits I'm sorry, the disadvantage of hatred and the benefits of patience. And I love that he uses patience rather than kindness. Because it's patience that forms the basis of our goodwill and our harmlessness. It's our willingness and our ability to endure what's needed to be endured in this human body. And when we learn patience, then kindness, goodwill, and harmlessness follow quite naturally. So we cultivate patience as the door into harmlessness and into goodwill. So. As soon as we come into this wisdom practice and we start to cultivate this Noble Eightfold Path, right view and right intention together start to counteract these three unwholesome moods that we talked about. Delusion, right view counteracts delusion. And when, and delusion is can be completely eradicated when right view comes into completely full realization. So to keep contemplating it and contemplating it and contemplating it, to contemplate karma and contemplate the Four Noble Truths. And to use the Four Noble Truths in, a, in the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, which we'll talk about next week, The fourth in the Fourth Foundation, the Four Noble Truths are one of the ways that the Buddha gives us in our meditation practice to frame our experience. So we're so that con- that um, counteracts delusion, and then greed and aversion are counteracted by renunciation and uh, goodwill and harm- harmlessness. So when we have the intention of renunciation of uh, goodwill and of harmlessness it's kind of a, um, it makes sense that the next um, the next aspect of the path is sila, morality, or integrity. Because this intention feeds right into uh, how we form values in how we act in the world. So if we have these intentions, wise speech, wise action, and wise livelihood, just become the manifestation of our intention. So this sila or um, morality or integrity is the foundation for the entire path because it's how we act in the world right so again it doesn't if we could have the most beautiful thoughts in the world but if we're cultivating those thoughts after a good day of killing right it's not going to work right stealing killing stealing gossiping saying terrible things about other people. Um, our good intentions will be for naught. And so, sila uh, is the kind of um, paving of the path. It's how we, it's how we um, go out into the world and um, manifest our views and our intentions. And when a monk approached the Buddha and asked for the training in brief, the Buddha told him, first, establish yourself in the starting point of wholesome states that is in purified moral discipline and in right view. Then when your moral discipline is purified and your view straight, then you should practice the four foundations of mindfulness. So in a way, the way we teach meditation in the West, we've got it all backwards. right? Because students come to us, and the first thing we do is we say, sit down and meditate. But actually... You know, and and the way mindfulness is being taught in the culture right now. It's really being taught in, in the kind of, you know, pop culture. Kind of divorced from moral discipline and wisdom. So this right conduct or this sila or this integrity or this um, morality is defined as abstinence from unwholesome bodily and verbal action. In the Abhidhamma, which is one of the three books of the uh, that make up the, the canon of on which these teachings are based. So there's the there are the suttas, the suttas of the Buddha, the discourses of the Buddha. There's the vinaya, which is the discipline for monks, and the code of conduct. And then there's the abhidhamma, which is a manual that essentially sets out the uh, Buddhist psychology. And in the abhidhamma, sila is equated with... Um, Mental factors of abstinence, abstinence, right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Which, and what that actually says to me is that what we're cultivating through sila, yes, we talk about it as conduct and as the actions in the world, but that actually what we're cultivating, we're still cultivating the mind through sila, through morality. Because what happens is, as we're acting in the world with this intention, and we're understanding uh, wise action, wise uh, speech, and wise livelihood, what we're actually doing is more mental purific- purification. Because as we are, in order to act according to, this, uh, to these three um, injunctions, the mind has to be purified. So, you know, we have the habit of lying. We've just been, you know, when we are young kids and our mother says, you know, did you do this? And you know if you say yes, what's going to happen, right? She so said, no, mommy, I didn't do that. Right? And we, and we get away with it. And so we say, oh, so that's the way to do it. It's to just not tell the truth. And then it kind of builds up. So in order to undo those kinds of habits that have a tremendous amount of momentum because we've been cultivating that habit over our lives, the mind has to get repurified. So even though we may talk about sila and right conduct, right action, right speech, and right... Um, livelihood, as action in the world, it's helpful to bear in mind that really it's just part of the same mental purification that we're doing with meditation and that we did with wise view and wise intention. So we think of morality as a kind of obligation, right? And I think that that it, it comes kind of from the Judeo-Christian Ten Commandments. So we think, oh, we should do this or we shouldn't do that. But in, the, in Buddhist thought, it's not so much um, a, a kind of obedience or abstinence that we're talking about. But really, it's about Harmony. How do we live in harmony? How do we carry out this goodwill and this harmlessness in our lives when we relate to other beings? So in some of the commentaries, the word sila, which is spelled, by the way, S-I-L-A, sila, is explained by another word called uh, samadhana, which is harmony or coordination. So we're living in harmony, and it leads to harmony at several levels social, psychological, karmic, and contemplative. So, on the social level, it brings about harmonious social relations. Because, what's right action? Right action is grounded in the five precepts, right? The five precepts are um, not to harm other beings not to take what is not given not to use sexuality in a way um, that harms not to um, say false harsh or um, idle chatter and not to take intoxicants that um, Muddy or, or slur the mind. So, if those precepts are undertaken and actually carried through at a social level, that brings harmony, right? So, what you're giving is the gift of harmlessness, the gift of fearlessness to the other beings that you come into contact with, even the smallest insect. They know they don't have to fear you because you have absolutely no intention to harm, to take something that isn't yours or to kill or, or um, to harm through, through sexuality or intoxication. And at the psychological level, Sila brings harmony to the mind because there's no guilt, there's no remorse, there's no conscience, conscience that comes up. And those of you who've been on retreat, you know that you know, as soon as the mind starts to settle down, what starts to come up? All of the stuff that you wish you hadn't done. Right. So if, there, if, we, if we live according to our right intention, There's no remorse, there's no guilt. At the karmic level, sila ensures harmony with the cosmic law of karma, which we talked about in Wise Understanding. So we're not subject to difficult consequences because our actions are pure, coming from a pure intention and a pure mind. And at the fourth level, the contemplative, it helps to establish the preliminary purification of mind to be completed by the practice of meditation, serenity and insight. So I know that when you've heard about sila before, you've heard about it from in the sense of these, you know, don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other thing. But I think it's really helpful to look at it more from the point of view of the purification of mind that results in the purification of behavior and action. So to also look at Sila not so much as fully being abstinence or uh, ref, uh, refraining from what's unwholesome, but there's another aspect of it and another commitment to it, which is to actually establish the wholesome in our um, in our active in our active lives. So we avoid the unwholesome, as I said, we'll talk about that with right effort, but we also perform what's skillful, what's wholesome. So. In the Dhammapada, it says to abstain from all evil, to cultivate the good, and to purify one's mind. That's the teaching of the Buddhas. So, cultivating the good and purifying the mind is based on the avoiding of the unwholesome. And so, the the um, the resolve to establish the wholesome is a balance to this avoiding of the unwholesome. So we're talking about action, body, and speech, speech and body, and the way of earning a living. And I'm not going to go into all of the aspects of it, because I, I think that um, if you're interested, you can actually, I'm going I'm to give you some, Uh, a reading list and you can actually go more into it, but to look into the five precepts and look into this notion of not harming, not even the smallest insect. And of course, it's wonderful for the insects, but it's even more wonderful for you, right? When When I learned in this practice to not swat flies or slap a mosquito because they wanted a meal, from my cheek, something happens. There's a kind of gentleness that comes over us. When, uh, or when a bee comes in our, in our sphere to get a glass and, and a piece of paper and trap him and put him outside or her, rather than running around and, you know, seeing what we can do to decimate it or destroy it or get rid of it because it's annoyed us. Something happens in the stream of our minds and in the in and in our activities. And with the unho- and avoiding taking what is not offered the aspect of the wholesome is looking at generosity. And seeing what it's possible to share rather than grasping and trying to get as much as we can, even that which is not offered. And beginning to understand how working with generosity with the open heart that understands we don't need more and more and more and more and more and more and more to make us happy. <clears throat> but the joy of generosity then begins to dawn in our sphere, in our hemisphere. So that generosity becomes our way of being with the goods of the world. Our willingness to share becomes a manifestation of our goodwill and our intention for harmlessness. So rather than grabbing and trying to get more and more, the mind gets purified to begin to really consider what's needed in our whole ambit. To be conscious of other people's needs and what we can give up to help someone else be happy or to cultivate goodness in the world and how that then redounds to our own benefit and so that we begin to see the connectiveness, the connectivity between us and our environment and us and the other beings with whom we share the planet so I'm going to stop right there so that To just give you a few minutes to shake out, and then um, when we come back, I'd uh, like to have you speak to each other a little bit, Um, just to uh, see what you've what you've learned, and then we'll come back and discuss a little bit in the group. So, anything you'd like to share with the larger group or questions that are arising or anything happening for you? Yes, please. Um, okay, I'm, Rachel. I'm thinking to myself, I'm confused about how to not do that. <laughs> that's <right. laughs> yeah, that's really good. You know, our culture is like, you know, there's a whole industry on idle chatter isn't there? Yes. You know, entertainment tonight, and, you know, Twitter, and Facebook. And, yeah, I mean, I, I sometimes go on people's Facebook pages and I can't believe the stuff they actually put there. So um, I, have a, I have a friend who once decided for a year he would not speak about anybody who wasn't present. and he said it cut his speech down by about 75%. <laughs> and it was actually amazing amazing to watch him go through that year. It was incredible. He just his whole being came to a place of peacefulness that was tangible. So yeah, you know, how are you, what's happening, how are things? Yeah, you know, that's not, it's not a problem. Again, you know, I think what the Buddha is really pointing to, it's not some how to put ourselves in a straitjacket, but really to become aware of how we spend our time. And uh, a lot of that idle chatter can be quite mean, too you know it's not just idle but it's also malicious sometimes so um, you know how how can you renounce that yeah. and and to and it's it's again it's not some kind of punitive straitjacket that you're putting yourself in but really a kind of resolve to be aware and conscious and awake to what's actually happening in the mind because if we know what's happening in the mind then the speech will follow quite easily it's like when we let the mind just run away with itself that you know the mouth kind of goes into gear and all hell breaks loose huh? right so again it's coming it's really coming back to the mind how do we purify the mind and and it, in, i think in the beginning and I see that for myself too. You know, in in the beginning, it's uh, it's really seeing how things come out of the mouth and correcting it. And then eventually, if you you know if you, you get pretty sick of having to correct yourself, so then mm-hmm. the mind sort of, kind of kind of gets it. it. Says, oh, maybe if I don't say it in the first place, I won't have to correct it. So you know, how do you practice? It's a practice. These are all practices. And practice makes perfect, but it doesn't start out perfect. Thank you. Sean? Hi, Sean. We got a lot about bugs. Ah. I was going to talk about bugs in brought it up first, and that then you have gone home and pondered the flies. From last week. Uh-huh. We talked about how I'm going to mosquito. Uh huh. My apartment is so infested with flies. So ah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what you're pointing to is that, you know, it's, it's not all black and white. You know, so not killing anything so w- w- what do you feel about abortion you know. and <coughs> what do you do if your home is infested with mosquitoes and you know there's west nile disease or cockroaches and so you know there, it's not as if there are all of these you know rigid rules and black and white that you know, live by, but a, ki- a kind of graciousness and, and an understanding of the consequences of what you do. And then how, you know, if, if you decide that, you know, the roaches have to go, you know, can you, <laughs> can you can you figure out a way to get rid of them without killing them? You know, and then if you decide, well, I can't get rid of them without killing them, how do you do it compassionately? Exactly what I yeah, so you're not doing it with yeah, a version. There's a story about uh, inside meditation society. Or salmonella, for example, on the chicken. There's that. There's that, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, if, 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 if you're really um, looking at that, do you have to become vegetarian? Yeah. Well, there, but there, are, there are degrees, you know. And, and actually in the text, they talk about the fact that, you know, that we're talking about sentient beings and that plants, even though they have a certain amount of sensitivity, that they don't come fully into the category of sentient. You know, but, but then there are all those Russian... Um, experiments, right, where they see when, you know, a, a plant's, you know, one of the branches is cut off, that, the, that there's actually some activity around it for the plant. So, you know, it, these, are all, these are all beautiful reflections, and we recognize also that the way the food chain is built, that, you know, we all, each each level of existence, survives by being predators of the lower forms of existence. Many plants have evolved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's a view. Maybe somebody else might have another view, Mm -hmm. right? And that's okay too. Well, I love that. I, but I love that. Um, I was in the New Yorker many, many, many years ago. And there's a, it's a cartoon with deer speaking to each other and saying, why don't they go call their own damn herds? <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's all a matter of pers- perspective. <laughs> I was thinking of bears. But <laughs> yeah, so, you know. Um, Nature isn't that kind, and and I think what the Buddha is pointing to in this part of the path is really uh, an ultra consciousness mm-hmm. about everything that you do. So, what do you eat? What do you need to survive? And do you take more than you need to survive? And what are the ethics of that? So we. We're living according to ethical principles, and each person is really um, making those decisions. But then there's a um, there's the danger of being uh, relative, and also the danger of being absolute. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have the covers. And and again but I again I think it's really po- you're, what you're pointing to is what is your state of mind? Right. It not pay it's Right. Mm-hmm. So this was very good. Mm, Beautiful. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. And you know, these are not easy questions. And to really be gentle with yourself and kind, and um, you know, so there's a there's a there's a place where there's a balance between being fierce and you know really being aligned with your values. And there's also another part of that balance that's kindness to yourself, and and coming to. And you know the the one thing that the one phrase that always comes to my mind when we discuss these is um, if you take care of the Dharma, the Dharma will take care of you. Right. So if you take care of your practice, then you don't have to make decisions out of fear. That you can make them out of a sense of integrity, rather than out of a sense of fear that you know you won't get another job or but then to balance that with what's needed and maybe even to make a plan, you know, in a certain amount of time, I'll be able to transition out of this if I decide that's what I want to do. Yeah. Thank you all for being so fully participating. So having generated the field of goodness and merit by our reflections and our practice tonight, we share the benefit and the merit with all beings. And so we dedicate the merit of our practice to the benefit, the welfare, the happiness, the well-being and the awakening of all beings everywhere without exception. May all beings Be safe from harm. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be healthy and strong of body and live with ease. May all beings be free from suffering and be free.